Welcome to Top Hat STEM Chat. This is our Austin P. College of STEM podcast, bringing you everything focused on the college, its faculty, staff, and students, and the impact they are having on the world. I am Colby Wilson, and on today's episode, 90 Seconds of STEM and an interview with Lee Duncan, a recent Austin P. graduate now working as a park ranger at New Malone's Lake in the Sierra Nevada foothills out in California. But first, celebrating our wins. This is where we highlight our faculty, staff, and students who won an award, grabbed a grant, were placed on a committee, or were otherwise recognized for their expertise, hard work, and singular genius. At Austin P's regular season football finale, Dr. Jennifer Yance, a professor of mathematics and graduate coordinator for mathematics instruction, was honored by the athletic department for her commitment to helping student-athletes be successful at Austin P. Congratulations to Dr. Yance. Dr. Carol Baskoff, Professor Emeritus of Biology was honored by the Tennessee Academy of Science with the prestigious Distinguished College and University Science Award. Congratulations to Dr. Baskoff for the award and for her recent retirement. Congratulations go out to the members of the APSU Chemistry Club and the Pre-Physician Assistant Club for earning the inaugural COSTEM Student Organization Support Initiative Grants, otherwise known as SAUCY Grants. Those funds will go to establish excellent programming for those clubs in the spring. A big thank you to all our alumni, donors, and people who care about providing opportunities for our students. You all showed up to make a difference on Going Tuesday and helped hit our funding goal for the Smart Card. Professor Brad Fox received one of Austin Peay's Faculty Research and Scholarly Activity Grants. He'll be working with a student researcher using ranked choice election data to determine the most mathematically fair voting method. These are just a few of our wins in the last few days and weeks. If you have more that I'm not aware of, send those along to WilsonRC at APSU.edu. We will take a quick break and be back with Lee Duncan of the Bureau of Reclamation right after this. If there's a question bothering your brain that you think you know how to explain, you need a test. Yeah, think up a test. It's possible to prove it wrong You're going to want to know before too long You'll need a test If somebody says they figured it out Our guest today took her talents from Clarksville to California where she now works as a park ranger at New Maloney's Lake. She's graciously, graciously joined us from the other side of the country and I'm thrilled to introduce her. Lee Duncan, welcome to Top Hat STEM Chat. Welcome to be here. So, to start with... Let's talk about your experience at Austin P. Uh, what brought you to Clarksville in the first place? Well, Austin P was one of the few schools that offered a program for people on the autism spectrum. And I, being one on the autism spectrum, I wanted to ensure that my path was secure in my future. They, there's a thing called full spectrum learning that Austin P has that was started by Mejun Emanuel. And he is amazing at what he does he works hand in hand with disability services to make sure that we have our accommodations as we need it uh there's social hours so that kids can uh, socialize together and they get to know people just like them 
and they have uh, weekly meetings in which we get to go over how we're doing in our courses and make sure we're on top of things as well set goals for what we want to achieve in the future and then once you got on campus uh describe your 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 academic journey i guess while you were here at austin p i started off with band so with band i immediately started in making friends and that was amazing growth for me because if i didn't have bands i probably would have struggled immensely in making a social group that in a new environment because i'm not from here i'm from east tennessee so it was a five-hour journey to get to college and then from there i pushed forward in my academics course you're going to have those times where you're not sure in which degree path you fully want but I settled in pretty quickly once I met my amazing professors because everyone I met was so happy to help me on my way. Who were some of your mentors while you were here? Well there was Evan Reem. He was one of my faculty mentors. I met him my sophomore year of college during COVID and he was had a very profound uh, influence on me when I was in such a hard time mentally uh, and I continued working with him. I just felt great working with him. Uh, then there was Stefan Waltman. He was another faculty mentor of mine. He was over my scheduling and everything so I could come in to him and be like, this is what I want for the next semester. Then there was Catherine Haas. She leads the um, wild night, wildlife uh, work. So she is, does all the wildlife skills and everything. So I've got to do some of those with her when I had free time. And there was John Schnettler, the band director. I could come to him whenever I was struggling mentally and just talk to him and have someone I could go one-on-one with. And between your major, your minor, and obviously band, I'm guessing that took up the majority of your time while you were here. Yeah, there was not a lot. I did a bio major and an agriculture minor because I had extra electives, and I just I was pushing myself a lot. Uh, band took up a lot of my time because you'd be doing band on Saturdays from 11 until like late at night. And then you had pet band and every other thing in between event wise you had to perform at. So you, if you had free time, it was kind of eaten up. But what I did was I pushed myself really, really hard. And there was some breaking moments there, but to get everything I could get done earlier in the week done so that my free time in the weekend would possibly be clean, clean slate for me to do what I need to do. Or if some random project was thrown at me, I would have the time to actually work on it. When did you decide you were going to attempt to become a a ranger? In 2017, me and my mom went on a trip to California, and I got to see a bunch of parks while I was here. I got to learn about the wildlife, and I actually ended up going to Yosemite and talking to some rangers there, learning about interpretation and everything. I've always loved being outdoors. Like I was one of those kids you could strap a walkie-talkie to and hope and pray they didn't get killed out there. And I 
just always loved helping people, loved helping insects. Insects are a great passion of mine because they do so much for us. And we don't really give them that much, like, you know, thought. So when I went out to Yosemite, I instantly fell in love with everything people were doing. There was rangers helping people, talking to them, teaching about nature, about the history of the area. It was amazing. And I find it funny because I'm only an hour from Yosemite now. Once you decided that this was the the path you were going to pursue, who, like, how do you start? How do you start making that a reality for yourself? I did a bunch of research to see the different types of rangers there are, what the pay is, how general the work is. And there are many different types of rangers out there. There's the law enforcement ones. There's the interpretive rangers that do nature or history work. And there's just the scientists in general. But I got to, I just basically did research, a bunch of research on pay, on what places have rangers. You'd be surprised the amount of places that have rangers. And you'd be like, this place surely doesn't have them, right? Nope, they have rangers. They're just all different. They all do different jobs. And they all have different skill sets. And I knew that I didn't want to be a law enforcement type. I knew I wanted to do stuff with nature. I wanted to teach people about nature. So I immediately looked into going down that career field. And honestly, it's hard to sometimes certain degrees do not work with being a park ranger. History is one of the harder ones to get into when it comes to it. There is history-based rangers, but it's hard to get a job as a ranger with a history degree. They're often searching for biology degrees. Agriculture degrees are a good second up, but they are not looking for agriculture degrees, despite there being forestry courses and other things that are amazing to learn in agriculture degrees. One of the interesting things I learned about when I was researching the work and what you do is is how much you're balancing kind of being a public facing figure but also the the environmental conservation part of it as well is that something you found in the work that you do a lot of kind of being part of the public but also being part of the solution for the conservation a lot of it is making sure that humans don't destroy nature as much as nature will destroy humans (laughs) i like to i like to say they go hand in hand there we have at Maloney's some amazing formations. There's Natural Bridges, which has, um, it's an underwater cave system, and it has some stalagmites. The issue is people go down there and break them off. So we're in charge of making sure that people don't litter, they don't build fires where they're not supposed to, that they're not destroying the natural beauty of the area. But also we're making sure that the wildlife is not hurting the people as well. There's mountain lions and bobcats, and there's a bunch of deer and animals and stuff. The animals will dig holes in everything. There's woodpeckers. They'll drill holes in every single wooden platform imaginable. Um, and the bobcats and wild, you know, wildlife don't care if you just leave a dead carcass inside of a trail. People will care. So we're out there trying to make sure that people don't have to deal with that either. So it's a good hand-in-hand experience of trying to keep people in line, but trying to keep nature still nature but also making sure it doesn't go over a line where people can be hurt or disturbed. You're technically in the Bureau of Reclamation. Do I have that right? 
Yeah, I work for the Bureau of Reclamation. It is under the Department of Interior. So it's it's basically the Bureau's purpose is equivalent to the Tennessee Valley Authority. In a way, they focus on hydroelectric power and dams, uh, just reclamation and, you know, recreation and in general is second nature. It is not their primary thing. They are built around basically capturing water in reservoirs and doing hydroelectric power. Okay. That that makes more sense because I'd never heard of a Bureau of Reclamation and I had no clue what it did. So thank you. Um, well, so it's a West Coast thing up until middle of the United States. <laughs> so what are some of the challenges of the work? With my work, the struggles is sometimes you have people who are uncooperative and that's not great because you want to make the process as easy as possible for everyone. And when you have to deal with those situations, it can just escalate. So you need to work on learning how to de-escalate situations. So there's a lot of working with people who don't want to work with you. And there's a lot of also, like I said, issues where people try and do things they're not supposed to do, like destroy natural wildlife. People here are very strong about rattlesnakes. There's a lot of rattlesnakes here. And the amount of times I've seen people say, oh, yeah, I'll just kill a rattlesnake. And it just breaks my heart because these things are so important to the environment here. And it's just it's devastating. Some people don't think about nature firsthand. So a lot of my struggles is trying to tell people you need to be careful and you need to be willing to cooperate with rangers when they say, hey, this needs to happen like this. <laughs> but the flip side of that is, what are some of the rewarding parts of the work? I get to meet amazing people as well. I love all my coworkers. I love most of the campers I've met. I've had amazing discussions about their lives and histories and getting to see the area is so different out here. It's a savanna. I'm literally in a savanna. At home, it's a, temp a temperate rainforest. Here, the, it don't rain often. It rains in the winter. I've never heard of rain in the winter. But it's just, it's so beautiful beyond words in its own way. And so I get to see new things, learn new things. There's a lot of ecology here that's not at home that I'm now being introduced to that I'm loving learning about. I, I love it. I'm getting to grow my knowledge and getting to meet amazing people regularly. What's life like at New Maloney's? What are some initiatives and efforts you guys are doing around the lake? There is the zebra and quokka mussel initiatives they're doing right now in the area. These mussels are very invasive. They will kill every single wildlife that's in that lake if they're introduced. So there's inspections that occur. We hand out self-inspection forms, which aren't as great as actual inspections, but better than nothing. And we're just trying to keep these muscles out of the water. They do regular checks on uh, certain devices that are out in the water. They have little areas they check for them. There's salmon. There's a bunch of salmon. So they make sure the salmon are putting the reds out. They're doing it right now, actually. They're beating themselves to death. It's so sad, but they're going to be new salmon coming in. Uh, and they work hand in hand with Fish and Wildlife. Fish and Wildlife's always out here doing work, uh, taking surveys on the animals out here and making sure that the fish are doing well as well and introducing new species. They introduce mule deer, they introduce new fish to the 
lake because the lake is not connected to any river actually it's connected to the stanislaus river but it's disconnected as well because of the dam so you have to introduce species for them to actually exist in the lake to begin with you talk talking about the other departments that that are involved there's so much community for conservation what have you seen in your time out there that's opened your eyes to the the different people and the different uh, organizations that get involved in making these conservation efforts successful? Well, we work with BLM rangers, so if there's ever an issue where someone's destroying our property, then we can call them up and they can help us. We have the sheriff department that helps us out. There's, like I said, Fish and Wildlife. They have a major part in it. They introduce species. There's some um, ecological uh, people in the BOR that do work where they are always working on introducing species. We have animal rehab centers here that have raccoons and possums and deer they take in and they reintroduce them back into the park system. So we have a lot of people who are helping us try and keep things as ecologically safe as possible. And it's amazing. I didn't realize when I first came that there would be so much on hands work with ecology and maintaining the wildlife status. There's a lot. There's osprey nests that are being constantly looked after. There's bird save surveys happening. There's a lot. How long have you been in the role? I probably should have let off with this, but I'll, I'll throw it in here right in the middle for no reason. Well, I've been working there for a little over a month now. The process is a really long process. I started, I applied for this job pretty much straight out of college and I waited three months to hear back. They eventually told me, hey, we're willing to give you the job. I said, sure, I'll take it. And then it was another month long process of getting in the door. It's a lot of waiting. It's a lot of twiddling your thumbs, waiting on paperwork to finish up a lot of processing. It's a lot. HR itself, I didn't get computer access until 18 days after being hired. But it's amazing once you do get in because it opens up a new world to you. And I've enjoyed every single moment. I've learned a lot of stuff I never would have even thought about while I'm working there. In terms of ecology, in terms of history, and California, it's you hear about California, you think of the Bay. This is an entirely different area. This is agriculture central, rural California. Yeah, you never think about that. It's it's beaches, it's bays, it's sand, it's surfer dudes. It's not ag, and there's and there's a whole huge ag community in California. How did your time at Austin P prepare you for the work you're doing now? I got to work with Dr. Sudbrink a lot and the agriculture department. So I got to learn about forestry and my 50 meter pace. And I did the wilderness skills training. So I got to learn about trapping and telemetry and GIS. And GIS is actually a major part of New Maloney's. We're currently about to redo our entire trail system using GIS having rangers go out there with iPads and taking photos every like five feet on the trail, just remap the entire place. Cause trails are constantly changing. People are always biking them, hiking them, deer walking them. They're 
constantly changing. We're trying to figure out the new trailhead system too, because there's not a lot of trees here. Like I said, it's a savanna. I'm in a savanna. There's no trees. If the trees exist, they're tiny little shrub things and they're sparse. You can't exactly paint a trail marker. You gotta, you gotta put a sign down and that's hard. But I've learned a lot in terms of botany and ecology. Ecology course was amazing at Austin P and it, <laughs> it opened a lot in terms of knowledge of how things work. And it definitely opened a lot of stuff that I already knew about in my head. When they bring it up at work, I can go, oh, I learned that at school. I learned that in ecology. I learned that in wilderness skills. I learned that in agriculture course. And it all kind of ties back. What's some advice you have for any students that are interested in getting into this field? It's a long process. And you just got to go in with the mindset of, you may want to get started on it sooner than I did. Because I, like I said, I started applying right at the end of my senior year, right? And right after college. And I didn't realize it would take so long because everyone's hiring. Maloney's has a ton of opening spaces right now. But the issue is the process is so long that by the time they're ready to hire you, they've already moved on and found a new job. So you, you just need to go in with the mindset of, I need a plan in case things are going to take a long time because they will take a long time. There was one guy who recently dropped out who has been in the waiting list for months. And everyone I've talked to says I, they're surprised I came in as quick as I did. They said I came in quick and it took four months for me to get in fully. <laughs> it's a long process and you just got to have the mental capacity and patience to deal with it. Now, you did a lot of research going into it, but is there anything you wish you'd known before you took the job? Just something that surprised you even after all the research? That's a hard one. <laughs> There's a lot of things I didn't realize in general about California. And I didn't realize the Bureau of Reclamation was a thing until I applied and did research on that. So if it says anything, there are some things you're going to look over. You're not going to realize exists when doing the research. There's you, you can look up the jobs, you can look up the pay, everything, but it's not going to tell you what they actually do because every service has a different system. They all have a different system. They're not the exact same. One may pick up garbage and then one may have that maintenance do that. It's different and also based on your staffing your staffing can change your hours drastically and change what work you do we'll close it out here with a few rapid fire questions um what is your idea of happiness whatever you feel like you belong so i'm happy with what i do because i have coworkers i can talk to who understand me and i appreciate being understood and I get to do the thing I love every day. So happiness is what you love. And you should always do a job that you love. Never do a job that you don't love. I'm happy that I have a job that I love. I wasn't sure what I was going to expect when I came out here. But this is the best scenario that could have occurred. And I'm super happy being here. What is your biggest fear? That's a hard one because there's many fears. Late statement, I would say fear heights but actual i'd say i'd say not being happy and being misunderstood because i struggled a lot with my disability and stuff being understood 
it, I always have come off wrong and I've done a lot of work to get to where I am today in which I can socialize one-on-one and be understood. My biggest fear has always been that I'm going to end up being misunderstood. So just be happy. <laughs> get get understood. <laughs> when and where were you happiest? Oh, boy. Because there's been many stages in my life where I've been happiest. Like right now, I'm the happiest I've been in past three months since graduating college because I feel fulfilled. But during college... I would say when I was the happiest was during band because even though I may have been stressing out over a paper I had due, I had no choice but to be at band. So I had an excuse on why I couldn't work on the paper I had to do. (laughs) And I got to hang out and socialize. So that was one of my happiest in college. So context matters. Context really matters on that one. What's the biggest risk you've ever taken? Ooh... (laughs) I mean, currently, coming out to California was probably the biggest risk I could have taken. That's fair. And kind of what I thought you might say. How would you prefer to die? I would love to die doing what I love. And I know that death is an inevitable thing. So I'm, you know, you're afraid of it because you're young. But I'm also not afraid of it. (laughs) If you were reincarnated, what would you like to come back as and why? There's many things I would love to be reincarnated as. I would love to be a human so I could have a round two. I'd love to be an insect because they're so, even though their deaths are short, they do so much for us. Cats are great. Cats are pretty fun. <laughs> it's just, it, that's a hard question because everything, every creature has a very significant point on this earth. I don't know about ticks and mosquitoes, though. Those ones, I, I, I'd say, probably not as significant as I'd like them to be. <laughs> you have to put three things in a time capsule to represent your life in our era. What goes in there? I would put my phone in it, because my phone has every single memory imaginable on, of my life in it, and all my music. So music would forever be saved. <laughs> Only my music, though. Sorry, everyone else's music. <laughs> the other two things would be hard. <laughs> Probably my games, like my computer or something, because games are a profound thing. I've always loved games. And I would put my favorite book in there. What's that? That's a fun one. I have many, many, many favorite books. <laughs> but I would have to choose my favorite favorite from that. Because I've always loved, maybe maybe Where the Sidewalk Ends by Shel Soderstein. I've loved that book since I was a kid. It's always had a profound message on me. If you could make one significant change in the world, what would it be? I would love to have it be taught in schools or in general how profound humanity can have an impact on wildlife. Because some people don't get that they teach us the basic stuff in school but they don't teach us until like college level courses exactly what we do people businessmen and businessmen and every other degree out there doesn't get to know conservation work they don't get to see what people get to do behind the scenes to make these recreation areas possible I would love to have more expansive knowledge given to people so they could appreciate things so they don't destroy stalagmites in a cave and 
leave their garbage everywhere nonchalantly and, you know, hinder wildlife. Wildlife is a very important part of things. Like, we have forestry courses for a reason because they want to teach us that our woods are not as plentiful as we think they are. We can deforest things. We can, desertification is a real thing that occurs. And global warming has been happening for centuries. But since our carbon emissions are so high, we have sped it up. I feel like there's a lot of knowledge on ecology and conservation that's not fully taught in our school systems that really should be emphasized on so we can make a better impact on the world and help these critters that are also helping us. Well, you're doing your part, and I think that's pretty evident in in the work you're doing and the impact that you're leaving. Uh, Lee Duncan, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. It was awesome. It's the truth. Then, my friend, you are going to need proof. Come up with a test. Yeah, you need a test. Don't believe it because they say it's so. If it's not true, you have a right to know. Put it to the test. Put it to the test. Yeah, test it out. Put it to the test. Yeah, put it to the test. Put it to the test. Put it to the test. A huge thank you to Lee Duncan for taking some time this week to join us. Before we wrap up, it's time for 90 seconds of STEM. Science on Tap will be off in January. February's presentation will be given by Dr. Catherine Haas. Make plans to be there for a special pre-Valentine's Day event. After a successful August workshop, the chemistry department is hosting another boot camp for chemistry 1110 students centered on preparations for the rigors of general chemistry. As an added bonus, funds from the National Predator Foundation will enable participants to start the semester with a calculator, goggles, and an APSU chemistry shirt. Breakfast and lunch will be provided as part of the event, which runs from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. on January 11th. Two courses to make STEM students aware of for 2024. Physics 1010-1011 now being offered online during the first eight-week schedule. If you need conceptual physics for your major, now is your chance. And later on in May, Dr. Lee is hosting a Roblox game development class during the abbreviated Maymester. Just as a reminder, the university will be closed from December 25th to January 1st to observe winter break and the Christmas holidays. So if you need a professor, be sure to get them before those dates. Otherwise, it will likely be 2024 before you hear back from them. As Clarksville Montgomery County recovers from the aftermath of the tornadoes, just a reminder to be good to one another during this time. Many in our community and on our campus have been impacted. If you know a student, faculty member, or staff member who needs some help or aid, or are someone who is in need of help or aid, there are programs on campus to provide assistance for you. And that's it. That is your 90 seconds of STEM. Thanks for tuning in. Rate and review if you liked what you heard, or drop me a line at wilsonrc at apsu.edu or at cwilson225 on the website formerly known as Twitter if you didn't. If there's somebody you want to hear from or learn more about, or if you're a College of STEM alum and want to get involved, get at me at one of those two places. Thanks for tuning in this week. We will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Goodbye. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium.